Right. Um, we are in a series uh, on the Spirit. After Lent, our church tradition has become... Um, oh, is there something up there? Wow, that's good. Um, our tradition has kind of become doing a longer series. Um, some people call it uh, the labor series. Uh, or the Growing a Baby series, because often it takes longer than it does to grow a human child. Um, I think Evie, Evie beat us out last time when we were doing prayer. Um, we do a longer series after Lent, where we kind of take something that uh, is a bigger topic, a topic that needs some exploring, often a topic that some of us have been stuck on and have kind of put to one side, and we try and dust it off and see if we can find life. It's also something... Um, that often there is a really vast um, set of experiences of in our community. I call it the coriander effect, (laughs) where for some people, it's like the greatest garnish in the world, and other people who are wrong, it tastes like soap. (laughs) Apparently, it's genetic, but I just think it's a bad attitude. Um, who, who, Who is a coriander lover, also known as Christians? Um... And who doesn't like coriander? I thought we'd got rid of most of you, but apparently some of you survived the first purge under his eye. Um, So the topics we choose usually have this kind of effect where we're like, we're going to talk about the Bible. It's usually the inverse of this, though. (laughs) We're going to talk about the Bible, and three people go, yes! And everyone else goes, (laughs) Well, what was that again? Um, we've done the Bible, spirituality, prayer. Um, and this time around, we've been having this. This one's been on the shelf for quite a while because we've been kind of terrified of it. But we feel like we're robust enough to talk about it now. We're doing the spirit. And we start off these series by um, listening to and recognizing the vast uh, differences in experience and that um, responses that our community has to these topics. So we try and mine our community for stories and for questions and for observations and experiences rather than beginning a series by telling you what you're supposed to think about it um, or throwing three scriptures at you. We try and sit with um, what people's experience of this is. And then as we kind of collect up um, a bunch of observations, we like to Think of them as roadblocks and green pastures. So roadblocks are things that we've got stuck on as a community, experiences that um, have become um, harmful or prohibitive or difficult or perplexing or something. And then green pastures, these hopes for what we'd like to move on to, what we'd like our relationship to this topic to be if we could just get past our roadblocks. And then we spend a while um, mining our tradition and... um, Trying to think of new ways. This is our um, fourth person on the CPLT who we've just brought on board. Tamsin just didn't seem enough. Um, So, hello. It's very dramatic. (laughs) It's a streaker, but uh, it was a bit cold. So, so there's a variety of ways that we try and hear feedback from our community. Um, we do human scattergrams, which we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we give space for email responses for those people who like to like stop, right, rather than just blurting out the first thing 
that comes to their mind, like me, uh, like to actually give a thoughtful and reflective response. Um, we've got tables around here. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. But all the questions that we're going to be asking today are actually on the table. So uh, if you um, got stuck talking to someone that you just don't want to talk to anymore, you can just go, oh, um, the table. I've got to do those table responses. Um, or if you actually have something ready um, to contribute to that, feel free. Um, so you can respond on post-it notes or write just on the butcher's paper there. Try not to write on the table if you can. Um, but all the questions we'll be talking about today, um, you can respond to on there, and then we'll collect them up um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we also do interviews as well, where we give some people a chance to uh, describe their experience. So today, we're really lucky because we've got a couple of FNCC veterans here. They've been around for, some of them, more than four years. <gasps> I know. Yes. Um, in hearing feedback, we try and be both kind and honest. We try and be generous to our past and the people in it, naming and embracing the good and the life-giving. But we try and be honest too, confronting times where in the name of the Spirit, harm was done. Realizing that if God is truly good, then this is not having a go at God, but activity done in God's name. And as I've, as I've listened to the stories that we've heard and the feedback we've heard so far, it's reminded me of how critical it is that we find ways of discerning when God's spirit is at work and never feeling shy about clearly naming when we sense that something else is at play. So today is an interview day. Uh, and I'd like to remind everyone um, that this is a day for holding space, um, holding stories, stories that might challenge, annoy, trigger, or inspire you. And whatever your response is, that's okay. But this is the part of this series where we gather and hold space, but not a part of the series where we try and fix things. So our role today is not to name how um, someone's experience is wrong. <laughs> it's a day to listen and hear uh, what their experience of it was. So I'd like to invite Jackie and Ben. Oh, we were supposed to um, arrange microphones, which um, psh, because we're a community of um, amateurs, we didn't. So I'm just going to do some untangling. Oh, yeah. Ha ha, the coffee's ready. Yeah, so if you need coffee, you can go get some coffee now. That's totally fine. Let's do the other one. Oh, I'm actually just going to get out of the way because roadie is not my vocation. I can't even drink one and a half liters of Coke, which is mostly what roadies do. Good stampede for the coffee. Thanks, Tamsin. Yay. Okay, this is um, Ben and Jackie, and they have been around our community for ages, which is really nice. Bethany said eight and a half years. You've been around here eight and a half years. That must be around the same. I think, was I here? I might have been here before you. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? Might be time to get out. Um, so is situation vacant? Coming up. Um, and Jackie, how long have you been around? About six and a half. Wow, it's pretty good. Um, not that it's a competition or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna have little like badges and things that you can collect. Um, so, our first question oh, that we're working through is um, what kinds of experience have you associated with the spirit? How did you feel about them at the time? How do you feel about them now? And so I thought maybe we'd start just by talking about what 
encounters with the Spirit um, or things in the name of the Spirit um, have stuck with you after all this time, um, for better or worse? Maybe we'll start with better. <laughs> Who'd like to go first? I think Ben should, because he's so close to me. Okay, I'll yeah. go first. Um, I, even though I've apparently been here for eight and a half years, I don't know a huge amount of people. Um, I have briefly scanned the room to see if anyone has um, been in similar church environments to me, so I just have to... Um, oh. So I'm just going to do this as well. Um, Jenny, uh, podcast Jenny, not microwave Jenny, um, is very aggressive with oh, okay. uh, microphone technique, and I wasn't here last week, and I listened to the podcast, and... I could only hear about three people, so I am also on the rampage as well for microphone technique. Okay, thank you. Move my arm if you have to. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess I um, uh, was born into a Baptist kind of aristocracy. Um, every uh, everyone older than me has been a Baptist pastor, minister, teacher, um, missionary, doctor, nurse. Um, so I guess in that kind of context, uh, the Holy Spirit was always described in a bit of an abstract kind of way, um, not necessarily a very tangible way, but still a very intimate kind of personal kind of relationship, I guess. And I, um, I had a mum who uh, introduced God to me as someone that was very close to me, who um, would sit on the end of my bed if I was scared at night. And I guess I was an early adopter of that kind of intimate relationship with God. Um, uh, I remember I was in the, um, uh, who really cared about me, I guess. And I, I was an earlier adopter of um, uh, Sunday school primary teachers who told me that Jesus was my friend and that he would always be with me. So I guess in that kind of context, um, yeah, the Holy Spirit was described as kind of... Um, someone that was kind of living inside you. I um, then uh, was still part of a Baptist church that became very charismatic um, at, a, a, at a weird time in my life. Um, my mum had passed away and I was a closeted, very afraid, scared teenager who um, had a lot of really... Um, a lot of really big questions that didn't really have answers. And I guess in that kind of injection of charismatic environment, um, I gave God an ultimatum, um, which was that he had one last chance to demonstrate to me that he was alive, that he cared about me, and um, otherwise I was going to throw it all away. And that could have ended up in lots of um, very dark places, I think honest. Um, so with this injection of the, um, a charismatic kind of environment, the Holy Spirit began to be described as um, someone that lived inside you, but someone that also would become very present and very real um, and would come on you to prophesy, to have dreams, to have visions. And um, I had a lot of uh, really unusual kind of experiences in that kind of context. Some of them, it, it, my memories of that time are a big kind of swirling pool of lots of different things. But I think that um, with years and hindsight, um, a lot of them have become sort of really beautiful piles of rocks that are still really strong anchors for me. Um, I think <laughs> um, 
I was at a conference once with my um, uh, with my best friend's mum, who was one of our pastors, and I was in love with him. And so there were always really some unusual dynamics going on um, throughout all of this time. And um, <laughs> and uh, she looked at me and she said, "Can you smell that?" Um, and I couldn't smell anything. Ne- if someone ever says that to you, never smell. Well, intuitively, I took a big, deep breath and couldn't smell anything. And then she said, it's Jesus. And I was like, God. And I'd already moved a particular way towards charismatic kind of Pentecostal environments. But this was a little bit too far as far as I was concerned. And then Jackie's laughing because we probably had similar experiences. Um, and I should maybe preface this or like say I, I'm, I'm a nurse. I've. I believe in science. Um, yeah, just as a caveat. <laughs> um, and then I um, and then I started to smell uh, this really unusual smell that I'd never smelled before. And um, I still find it difficult to describe. But I took another deep breath, and you know when you um, like smell someone's perfume and it's really strong, um, it kind of hits you in the back of the head and it becomes like really, really full on. Um, and said that that was Jesus. Um, and I was looking at the air conditioning vents. I was looking for an incense stick to sort of find out where this smell could be coming from. I asked some strangers if they could smell anything, and they couldn't smell anything. Anyway, uh, I was uh, preparing to move to Sweden, and I was really, really nervous about that. And I remember I was packing my bag, I was praying, and talking about how anxious I was to God, and then all of a sudden this, you know how you have a memory for smells, this very familiar sort of smell sort of became overpowering again, um, and I was looking around for perfume again, or some incense stick that someone had lit in my room, and I couldn't um, find anything, obviously. And then when I was on the plane on the way to Sweden, um, I started crying because I was anxious again, and I smelt the same familiar smell. And then when I was on a boat in Sweden and it was windy outside, I had again this, like, really intimate experience of God, which came with this familiar kind of smell. Um, And that was the time on a windy boat when I decided that it was possibly the Holy Spirit. I think that those kinds of experiences um, I, I can't explain, I can't deny that they ever happened. Um, they don't necessarily make sense. There's a there's a passage in the Song of Songs that talks about Jesus. Oh well, it talks about the lovers' um, uh, fragrance as being intoxicating, and that was kind of the only kind of way that I could conceptualize that. Um, but then there were other times that were a, a less kind of tactile, I guess. Um, and I'll, I'll say one more. I think that. Um, a lot of people used to come up to me and say, oh, I've got a word for you, or I've, God's told me this for you, or I was praying for you. And that kind of experience was very common in the environment that I was working in. And I'd, I'm not working in, in I was in. Um, but not all of them necessarily stuck. But someone came up to me one time and they said that they were praying for me. And um, did I know any verses about something about a dove and something about a cleft of a rock or something? And I actually really loved Song of Songs. Um, and I used to read it for the poetry, and I, uh, during that stage, I 
developed this really deep love for Jesus that I have has still never been matched in any kind of person. Um, so the poetry of Song of Songs like really resonated with me, and um, and she said to me, um, oh, I said I repeated the scripture that I remembered, and it's my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. And she said, oh, I think that um, you know one of the things that you'll do in your life is um, find people that are hiding in the rocks, um, and and so. In my Baptist kind of context, this idea of a dove was this white, perfect, fan-tailed creature that was sort of pure and white and holy. And my experience of growing up, um, knowing that I was gay really early, um, feeling anything except white and clean, feeling much more like a leper, um, I I found doves really difficult to relate to. Um, uh, My cousin is doing a PhD at the moment and she's had to learn Aramaic and I asked her to tell me what that word dove means. And um, this was years later, thinking about this on and off. And um, she she said that it's a rock dove, which is like local to a particular part of Israel, um, which is actually a pigeon. Like it's a, it's a common pigeon. Um, the rats of the sky. The rats of the sky. Um, and I <laughs> cried when she told me she didn't, probably understand why I was crying, but I think it's almost scandalous of God to call a pigeon a dove, and, um, you know, pigeons are, the the reasons that we hide and the reasons why we don't speak are often because we're afraid or ashamed, and the idea of, like, God requesting that a pigeon show him its face and let it hear its, like, awkward kind of voice, I think is very, um, yeah, it's very special. And even though I had this mixture of very Pentecostal kind of experiences of walking through fire tunnels and being pinned to the floor and um, all of those kinds of things, there's still piles of rocks that are now tattooed on me to remind me of the kindness of God reaching out to a broken, afraid, timid little kid um, in some of the most generous and beautiful ways that I'll never forget. Thank you so much. In case um, we're just going to put a little asterisk beside fire tunnel, um, just in case anyone needs an explanation later. We'll be getting on to that. Mm. Sorry for laughing then. You told me that story at Stu's the other night. We were telling some stories and we were both crying hysterically, but setting me off again. Um, But also really beautiful story. And, yeah, I guess... It's a hard question that what what experiences like when I first think about that question, the first thing that jumps out is sort of a bunch of the weirdest things that have ever happened. Um, but when I really sort of had to slow things down and think about yeah, how to make sense of that and what are the experiences that I hold closest to my heart, often they're much quieter, um, less noisy less um, out there kind of experiences, even though I sort of had both. So, yeah, it was interesting when you said um, that you'd kind of given God an ultimatum um, to show up. I've had a similar situation where I grew up, grew up in the Uniting Church, so pretty normal, pretty safe, not too weird. Um, 
and had left the church. Um, As a Pentecostal, that's not what we heard about you. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, For so the record. I, I sort of walked away when I was about 16, as lots of young people do, and... Um, Hadn't completely given up on God, but, yeah, wasn't sort of sure of God's place in my life and um, had some other experiences that I still don't know how to place, um, other spiritual experiences that were pretty profound and real that weren't, that wasn't God, sort of some weird new age kind of stuff that I didn't know how to place, but I still had this sort of belief in God. Um, and one of my best friends became a born-again charismatic Catholic in high school in year 12, and um, she became part of this group that would run camps for Catholic kids. Um, and I went along, oh, it must have been sort of high school and a couple of years outside of high school, but I went along to that. And I was at a pretty low point in my life where I just felt quite lost. Um, I kept getting my heart broken. I was always sort of the helping friend that sort of made sure all of my other friends um, were looked after. A lot of my friends were using a lot of drugs and I was always sort of the one that was taking care of everybody um, and would dabble a little bit myself, but I was getting sadder and sadder and sort of felt myself slipping into, yeah, sort of just not really a very happy place. So I went to this camp and they sent us away to write a letter to God um, about how we're feeling and I sort of gave God an ultimatum and I'd had these sort of other experiences that were really very very real that I couldn't deny um that weren't God so I was like basically saying God if you're real you should be able to match or better these other experiences that I've had so I kind of sat under this tree like hit, hit me with it um yeah, I don't know what I was wanting, but I was wanting something very, very tangible and very profound. But instead, I sort of heard this very quiet sort of inner voice say, I'll make myself real to you by changing you. Um, yeah, and that was kind of it. But it stuck and it hit me in a deep place. And I think it was the first time that I realised that if I wanted to get to know God more, there were some things that I needed to let go of in my life. And so... I did that in a very radical way. Um, yeah, and it's interesting sort of looking back at that time, which was very profound, um, and then I found a really charismatic church that I became part of that started out being all right but progressively got sort of weirder and weirder. Um, yeah, it's weird. I sort of feel like now that I really at that point, it was a really beautiful moment in my life, an important sort of turning point, but I also feel that I really abdicated responsibility for my own life at that point um, and thought that if I surrendered my life completely to God and put him in charge and the Holy Spirit in charge, that that meant that I didn't have to get hurt anymore and that only good things would happen in my life. So I really, so I look back and I was like, wow, there's like a lot of fear and a lot of, um, yeah, so... Well, let's lean into that then. Less helpful experiences of, if not the spirit, then at least things in the spirit's name, um, environments that you've been in where, or, or I guess even some of this can just even be associations with spirit, what you've been told um, the life of the spirit looks like, but then in ref, upon reflection you look back and go, actually, I go about that quite differently now, and that's been unhelpful. 
Yeah, um, yeah, so the church that I went to had some really good people in it and was really open to the Holy Spirit, but it kind of got more and more Holy Spirit-focused to the point that after a couple of years, there was no structure to the service anymore. It was 100% led by the Holy Spirit, and it was just chaos. It was just, like, totally weird, and it was just prophecy and, yeah, people doing often really strange things, people groaning on the floor. And it was really kind of whatever impulse or whim people had, they could just run with it. It was really difficult to challenge that. So I think for me, there was some powerful stuff and real stuff that happened in that that I can look back at and go was good and true. But also um, I felt like there was a lot of, ended up being a lot of striving, that you had to strive and cry out to God in a really desperate way to get his kind of presence to come into the room. Um, a lot of emotionalism and really hard to differentiate when something wasn't sitting right in your gut or didn't seem quite right or seemed a bit weird and odd. There was no place to kind of name that and say, I'm not so sure about that. So it all sort of got mixed up together. Um, and just common sense kind of going out the window was probably the least helpful thing. And, yeah, just, like, weird, really irresponsible things that I ended up doing because I was so reliant on God for miracles and I never had any money. I was always crap with my money, but, you know, then I'd pray about it and somehow someone would give me money or, you know, like I sold my car to go overseas to do this Christian summer school thing. My parents were like, but you'll need a car when you get back in a couple of months. And I was like, well, that's God's responsibility. And then sure enough, like, someone gives me a car. Um, but, like, <laughs> so there are these sort of things that were really hard to the worst explain, bit is when it but works. I was so irresponsible. <laughs> well, it kind of worked, but then um, I was always giving my money away because I was in these services where you're just emptying your wallet all the time and you get caught up in the emotion and I'm like, oh, well, it's God's money. So the, the amount of ways that I just abdicated responsibility, always leaning on the side of wanting to give it all away rather than being greedy or selfish or not trusting. And I remember, like, my brakes started to fail because I just had never had any money. Who needs brakes? So, oh, like, God, I'd Jesus. have to sometimes pump it a couple of times, like this car that God had given me, before it would work. So I was just praying. I'd just get in the car and just pray that I wouldn't die or kill anyone. And, um, like, one time that I can, like, say I really believe was the Holy Spirit was that I heard this sort of really clear voice say to me, I can still use you as a paraplegic. And it was like a real shock because I realised that God would be willing to let me be paralysed. And I just went and got my car fixed really quickly. Just, like, found the money. But I just had this belief that God wouldn't let anything bad happen. It was so disconnected from reality. It's just insane. <laughs> Everything that Jackie said is very relatable. I, I gave away my last $50 but forgot that I'd given away my last $50, filled up my tank with petrol and had no money to pay for it. And then a stranger came up to me and gave me the exact amount for the petrol. So it's very difficult when things like that work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I relate to what Jackie's saying because he also, um, 
uh, I think I spent a lot of time relying on people who um, uh, were very charismatic, who uh, um, uh, had said real things um, or they prophesied and they on us or whatever. And I think I outsourced a lot of my thinking, my decision-making um, and what I wanted probably to people who could make decisions for me. And I, I think that was there was a there was a lot of bathwater in the debate. Um prophecies. How many women have you been prophesied to marry? Um, <laughs> yeah, a couple. We're still waiting. I'm just saying. Still waiting. How did prophecy function for better or for worse for both of you? Just because we come I share that environment also. Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning. I really loved prayer and kind of, um, yeah, sort of always felt that I had this sort of prophetic. People would say to me, you know, you've got a gift of prophecy and prophetic prayer. And Just in case you're from outside the circle, um, yeah. this very small circle, um, prophecy is like the idea that God speaks to and through people. Um, and there's lots of different ways of kind of delivering these messages, but usually they're with great certainty and authority, which is, I think, where people run into trouble with them. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I just threw myself in. I really, it was really quite radical in my life. I was just at prayer meetings all the time, and my parents were so worried because, <laughs> yeah, they just thought it was happening, and I just didn't understand what they'd have to be worried about. I was like, I was doing all this risky stuff before. Why wouldn't you just be happy that now I just live at church? Um, but... Yeah, prophecy. So I was thinking this morning that something that I kind of miss, that really passionate prayer where sometimes it feels like God really shows up and you're connecting with God's heart for things. And I was thinking this morning, yeah, I've got this really mixed sort of feelings about it because there was definitely times that um, I've had in prayer that were just really profound and where I really sensed God's presence. And then a lot of the time it just felt like me actually striving and trying to whip up um, the same kind of experience that maybe I genuinely had. Um, but, yeah, this morning I was thinking about how, like, I'm a um, youth and family counsellor and I've always sort of worked in the community sector and in the helping profession and, you know, trying to rescue all my friends back in high school and stuff. I was thinking about how, as someone who's, like, quite compassionate, like, quite empathetic and likes to fix and help people, how I kind of... Um, hear my relationship between that and praying in the Holy Spirit and how, oh, I actually use the Holy Spirit to try and control <laughs> control things and fix people really quick. So almost like this assumption sometimes that if I'm feeling sad and empathetic for someone's situation, then I'm assuming that God feels exactly the same as I am and that I can pray with great confidence and certainty that God's going to restore and fix that really quickly. But actually that's not... Sometimes that happens, but actually, more often than not, people's healing journeys are much, much slower and longer, and God has a lot more tolerance for, I think, sitting with people in pain and distress than I have. That's something that I've learned and grown a lot in. So I think about the way that I tried to sort of speed up the process with powerful, well-intentioned prayer, but actually I think there was a lot of assumption in that. So people have come back to me and said, like one person <laughs> was telling Tamsin this morning, someone I know from years ago had, you know, a lot of trauma in her life, really fractured family relationships, and I prophesied that her relationship with her mum would be completely restored. 
And she came back to me years later and told me that she'd always held on to that and that that had happened. And I'd sort of shifted theologically quite a lot since then. And I was just horrified that I'd done that. Like, horrified. Like, I just thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I said that. Like, I'm glad it's worked out. But, like, just how much... I just think that's really dangerous. I would never say that anymore with that level of certainty. Um, I've, heard the, same, I've pray, heard the same thing about I might still domestic pray violence for relationships. Yeah, like yeah. I might still pray for it, but I'd be much more willing to own my own words and not attribute them to God. I might still ask or be hopeful, but I would only express those things in a much softer, gentler way, leaving room for the fact that sometimes people actually need to sit with pain or things don't all just get 100% fixed. Prophecy kind of worked in a different, in, in a couple of different ways. Um, uh, uh, I, I remember I was praying for someone once, and um, like we were both teenagers, and, and, and it, like we were still just learning a lot about life. But um, I was praying for her one time, and I just said, "I can see this picture," um, and and this was like a photograph when I was praying. It wasn't just like a vague kind of thought that entered in my mind. It felt like a photograph. Or it looked like a photograph, and I could see this woman crying um, with a tear in her eye, with just hair brushed across her face, and she was wearing like a headscarf. Um, and I could just see underneath, one day I'll wipe away all the tears that you cried on the earth. And she said that um, she is an artist, or she's like very creative, and all day she'd been making this collage of a of a woman who. Um, was from some war-torn kind of country that was escaping um, with a headscarf, with a tear in her eye, and hair swapped across her face. It was someone else, but I saw her, and I think she she said to me then that she's always understood God's love for other people, but it's not necessarily something that's directed towards her. And so I guess prophecy could be this future-telling kind of thing, but also... Um, helping people to understand, I guess, that God's an intimate, real, alive, kind of contributing um, God that really can understand a particular circumstance. And so those, I guess, are the more sort of piles of rocks kind of experiences that I've had across years um, that I still kind of hold on to as I remember. Well, I moved out of home because of a prophecy. Um, which was probably a risk. Um, also, it worked out. Um, and I I was extremely confident that that was what I was supposed to do. Um, and it kind of came from uh, an unexpected place. And um, I'm, I'm still confident that that was the right thing to do. But, um, you know, in hindsight, I probably, I, if that happened now, I would be much more scared. I think I was hesitant to make any significant moves or changes in my life without having some kind of word from God or confirmation. I think I was quite anxious. And now I feel much freer to own my own life and make some decisions that seem good and right. And um, it's not... Sometimes there might be some confirmation, sometimes not, but I don't feel like I'm being rebellious for just making a decision that seems good and right because I don't think there's one thing that God has asked me to do, whereas I used to think. There was one narrow path that you were trying to follow. Um, What hopes do you have for what our community's relationship with the Spirit might look like? We're running out of time, but 
I hope that, um, I, I mean, I understand that not everyone has smelt Jesus and like. <laughs> Some of uh, you uh, haven't <laughs> even smelt Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I understand that <laughs> I've been pretty honest and it's probably quite confronting for some people. Lots of people, my parents would be mortified if they were here. I kept a lot of this from them. Um, I hope that uh, I hope that people never try and replicate an experience that someone has has had for themselves. Um, you know, I, I used to be really insecure about listening to things that had happened to people and thinking that made them special or it made them good and I felt bad and I just felt terrible about myself, even though these things were happening kind of anyway. I would, I would hope no one wants to try and replicate something that's happened to someone else, but I also hope for people that have had these kind of experiences that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I think there's a lot of weird, but also really some wonderful things that um, I've experienced in this kind of life. You know, I think the Holy Spirit completely changed the trajectory of my life and I don't know what or who I would be if I hadn't have um, had this intimate kind of relationship with God that's like messy and confusing and tense and <laughs> but also really beautiful you know I think that um, my hope for this community is that we might be able to reimagine the way that God is allowed access into our life and um, and, you know, sometimes maybe with some hindsight, re-embrace some of the, um, the really beautiful things that um, have become part of our story and maybe some piles of rocks that we remember. I just feel really inspired hearing you talk about, um, being able to talk about your past experiences, um, holding them in such a positive light and not losing the relationship with God. In that. Ben's a much like, better person I feel like than both Ben's of us. much more integrated than I am. I've been really sort of cautious of, and not known what to do with a lot of that. Um, these sort of charismatic Holy Spirit experiences, but I think, um, yeah, I think it's been helpful just to think about it, even leading up to this morning, how, how, to, how to hold on to some of that or how to maybe allow myself to be a little bit more open knowing that I'm a different person and that I could keep my brain and common sense. Um, but, but being a bit more open to maybe some of those impulses to check in with someone or say something kind to someone or, yeah, to maybe be a little bit more open to all of that without it getting... Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be really comfortable with the really massive demonstrative kind of stuff. I get really... I'd sort of call myself the church, um, church security. If I, if I see someone turn up and start being really weird, I'm like <laughs> over to Shane going, watch out, that person over there, never seen them before, being a bit weird, look like they might target a vulnerable person. Um, so, yeah, like I'm, I'm quite anxious um, and protective of this space of, um, of not um, being, yeah, of people not getting hurt by well-intentioned people that... Um, might, that don't have relationship to the community. Um, and look, I think that impulse, if, if you've been deeply wounded, if you've been, in, some of some people in our community have been in places where they still carry absolute PTSD around this stuff. And so I think 
not being able to go, well, let's just all hope it all works out, is actually an okay impulse. Some people have had to build very strongly walled containers to keep themselves safe in the world, and that's, that's okay too. Hmm. Yeah. I can probably calm down because everyone else like, is just, <laughs> just like, pretty down. relaxed, yeah. but I'm like, they're going, yeah. anyone saying what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, we're actually going to build a little watchtower for Jackie in the corner <laughs> with a sash. Um, just really quick, because we actually have to end. Um, any trigger words you want to add to trigger word bingo? I mean, I struggle when people say that or ask that God turns up. Okay, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is already here. God's already here. Yeah, good. Yes, yeah. You uh, mentioned fire tunnel, so I'm adding that to the, fire. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um. Oh, I would have them, but I can't think of them. Okay, right. cool. Good. Uh, thank you. Let's give these people some love. Thank you so much. When Ben was talking, I had to visibly check myself because most of my wedding photos um, have... The, the best ones are all me looking at Ben with heart eyes. Like, I love him deeply. And apparently when I look at him, I look like I'm in love. So I, I tried to mask that a little bit. Um, I want to close with a poem by our patron saint, Jan Richardson. Um, she's a poet that we look to often for beauty and truth. Um, this is a poem for Pentecost, a blessing for Pentecost Day. So... If you'd like to read along, you can. If you'd like to close your eyes, you can. Um, I'm going to close with this. What the fire gives, a blessing for Pentecost Day. You had thought that fire only consumed, only devoured, only took for itself, leaving merely ash and memory of something you hadn't believed that you had believed, if not permanent would be long enough, enduring enough, to be nearly eternal. So when you felt the scorch on your lips, the searing in your heart, you could not at first believe that the flame could be so generous, that when it came to you, you in your sackcloth and sorrow, it did not come to consume, to take still more than everything. What surprised you most were not the syllables that spilled from your scalded, astonished mouth, though that was miracle enough, to have words burn through what had been numb, to find your tongue aflame with a language you did not know you knew. No, what came as greatest gift was to be so heard in the place of your deepest silence, to be so seen within the blazing, to be met with such completeness by what the fire gives. Amen. Beautiful. So those, if you'd like to play at home, um, you can email us in responses to those questions yourself. They're on the Facebook page, and we sent a couple of emails out as well. If you want to play together, um, you can add just little snippets to these tables. And I would encourage you, if you have experiences that differ from ones that have already been discussed, please, please add on. Um, we want people from... Um, with experiences outside of the church, um, people who have questions and have no experiences to offer, whatever you feel, please add to our collection so that we can um, build a series around the experiences of this community here. Um,
There will be no communion today in miniature form because we're having uh, communion in liquid form via uh, via lunch today of soup. So if you'd like to hang around and eat, everyone is welcome to uh, eat together. Asher, where's Asher gone? Uh, Asher will be leaving the Peter Monty's train, which will be leaving to the supermarket in about three minutes' time so they can get back in time for hot soup. Um, so if you'd like to join that and buy some bread and things. Is there anything we need in particular other than coriander garnish? Um, any kitchen people? We don't even have kitchen people. Um, it's all right. Um, <laughs> bread, if you'd like to add to the pile or any other yummy things to eat, and go for gold. We love you. Go in peace.